0: Father, this morning we're just grateful that you've provided everything for us. You saved us. Your grace brings us through each and every day. And will get us into heaven with you and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So this morning as we study your word, might we be ever, ever thoughtful and ever mindful of that, that you have done all there is to do. We thank you and we ask you to give us wisdom as we apply your word to our daily lives so that we might be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start, we're going to read chapter 7 through about 14. 1 Corinthians 7. Now, concerning the things about which he wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise, Also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, that the husband, and that the husband should not send his wife away. <clears throat> but to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, let her not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her unbelieving husband. Hang on a second here. We're going to read through 24, excuse me. Her unbelieving husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And thus I direct in all the churches, was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is Nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Let each man remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become the slaves of men. Brethren, let each man remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Now, we're going to take a little back step for a minute. Last week we talked about, um, there was a verse that that brought some interest to it. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. And then it was pointed out that in 1 Timothy, Paul encouraged the young widows to marry. And so I looked into that. I kind of had an idea about it, but I just kind of wanted to share with you um, how... Directly applicable, the Bible often is. So, in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, Paul says this, But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Then in 1 Timothy five 14, I'm going to give you the context. Verse 9, A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress... And if she has devoted (coughs) herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. So, what we see in 1 Corinthians, first of all, is as we look at verse 8, Paul is approaching the idea of others marrying from the context of the end times. He advocates that it's acceptable not to marry, and indeed may be preferable since it will free one from the added pressures of in an age of urgency and danger. But he does not command people not to get married. Notice that. He doesn't command them. He says it's okay if you don't. If you remain as I am in first Timothy, he's dealing with a specific st- situation where young unmarried women were causing problems in the church. In this specific instance, he advocates that the young widows get married because of their unbiblical activities. So he actually probably has individual people in mind would be my guess. Paul, in many cases, when dealing with things such as this, will advocate specific applications to specific groups of people. In verse eight of first Corinthians, he allows that it's good if they remain as him, but he does not command it. Whereas in verse fourteen of 1 Timothy, although we can call it a command, it is certainly at least a strong recommendation. The key is that in the last, the last phrase of that sentence, that they give not reproach, give no en- give the enemy no occasion for reproach. So in one instance, he's dealing with the potential for people living in the end times, and allowing that it's okay if you don't marry. He's not commanding them not to. But in First Timothy five. He's dealing with a situation where young widows were causing problems in the church. And he saw to, he saw an answer to that in the specific application where they were was that they should get married. So does that help with verse eight? Okay. Again, it's not a command because later on in first Timothy, second Timothy, I should have looked this up, but he, he allows that in the end times, ungodly men will command abstinence from marriage. And that is indeed a mistake and an unbiblical um prescription, if you will. Okay. So we're going to move on from verse we were on verse fifteen last week, fourteen, excuse me, which was uh for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving is sanctified wife is sanctified through her believing husband, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they're holy, reminding ourselves that this doesn't mean that when one person of a of a married couple gets saved that the other one is saved. What it means is God extends a, a special grace to that marriage. And and uh, the children are benefiters, ben- beneficiaries of that grace. The unbelieving spouse is a beneficiary of that grace. Uh Almost, well, everything God does for us is undeserving. But this is a clear where because a spouse is married to a believer, they are a special benefic- beneficiary. That's a, say that word four times fast a beneficiary of the grace that God extends to the believing the believing partner. So, and then with that, let's move to verse 15. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. In this particular verse, Paul covers the situation of the departure of the unbeliever. First of all, it's important to note that the believer is nowhere given permission to end the marriage. If, however, the unbelieving one leaves, the believer is not under bondage. God has called for peace even in the breakup of the marriage. Some believe that the idea of no bondage here is that the remaining believing spouse is no longer under the bondage of marriage. Others believe that the implication is that they are not under the bondage of trying to hold a fragmenting marriage together. The idea for certain is that in whatever case, when the marriage cannot survive because of an unbeliever's departure, the believer is to do everything they can to maintain peace. And that can be a very difficult thing in in the breakup of a marriage. Very difficult thing. But is God up to it? I think he probably is. There's this thing called grace, which is absolutely phenomenal. He can provide the grace necessary. And I I say, it sounds like I'm talking like a cliche, but I've been close to a situation like this. So I kind of know, I understand the grace that God can provide in the potential of a breaking up marriage. Um, and it's not an easy thing to go through. And in those kinds of situations, it's important for the body, for the church, to gather around those who are struggling with this and to give them comfort and aid because they're going to need it. It's a hurtful time. It can be an awfully hurtful time. But the Scripture says God has called us to peace. We're to be peacemakers. That's to be one of the characteristics of a believer, is that they are a peacemaker. Any comments or questions on verse 15? 16, for how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? For a Christian in a situation like this, heeding this command to let them leave, to keep peace, to be a peacemaker, could very well be the catalyst that leads then or later to their salvation, the salvation of the unbelieving spouse. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we have a marvelous section that deals specifically with the unbelieving wife and with the believing wife an unbelieving husband. But the principle does work in both ways. First Peter 3, 1 through 6. Let me get my handy-dandy. First Peter 3, 1 through 6. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husband. So that, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way... In former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. So the peace that comes in the life of a believer, a believing wife, can allow her, can cause her, can strengthen her, can empower her by the Holy Spirit to be a living example every day to that unbelieving husband. And, and in the grace of God, it can, it can just in the right way wear him down. Wear him down until he says, okay, I'll become a believer. Well, hopefully it's not, not exactly like that. But the point is God may use that grace. That may be the grace that he uses to draw that person to himself. And so how do you know, oh wife, whether you will save your husband? And so we know that the principle works both ways because then he says, or how do you know husband, oh husband, whether you will save your wife? And those can be some of the most difficult times of a life when one is a believer and one is an unbeliever for whatever reason. Maybe they got married improperly because the Bible tells us not to marry unbelievers, but maybe they were both unbelievers when they got married and Christ saved one of them or whatever the situation. But God is up to the task, no doubt up to the task. And I'm sure many of us know stories of people where one was unsaved and one was saved and by the by the beauty of the life lived because of the grace of God and the believing spouse, the other one came to the Lord. It can also have the opposite effect. It can drive them away. Uh, but only Christ, only the Father knows whom the elect are. We don't. And so live like they are. If the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. For how do you know a wife, excuse me, wrong verse. How do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know a husband whether you will save your wife? And again, we're not saying that the, the person saves their spouse. God does that through their actions, using their actions. He doesn't want to do it. Yeah, he ended up, yeah, and then he sat and pouted under that gourd. <laughs> Husbands don't pout, it's a good thing we don't. <laughs> What's this laughing about? What meaneth this laughing I hear? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can know, I got it. Okay, moving right along. Verse 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches: no matter what walk of life you live in, whether you, when you are called to the Lord, you can be a Christian in that walk of life. Of course, there are exceptions. If you were a thief, when you were called to the Lord, you need to stop stealing. I think it's in Thessalonians, Thessalonians it says that you need to learn to work with your hands so that you can give to others. As a matter of fact, if you were a prostitute, you got to stop it. If you were a drunkard, your lifestyle must change. The remarkable thing, and we need to get this right. The cart does not come before the horse. The remarkable thing is that God does not require the change first. Because if He did, there'd be, there would have been no salvation on this planet, I think. I know. He saves you first, and then by grace, He changes you from the inside out to be like His Son. This was one of the, this was another one of the Corinthian excesses. It seems that many of them were not happy, or rather I should say they were not content with their lot in life. They thought that when they were saved, they had to be different than what they were if they were just a lowly this or a lowly that. Only Christians, if, if you're a Christian, you got to be somebody special. Well, they were not happy or they were not content with their lot in life. If they were married, they would rather be unmarried. If they were unmarried, they would rather be married. If they were a servant, they wanted out of that lifestyle. If they were circumcised, they wanted to be uncircumcised. If they were uncircumcised, they wanted to be circumcised. My dad used to say, he said, that guy wouldn't be happy if you hung him with a new rope. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here in an interesting sort of way. No matter what what walk of life they were in, they thought they had to be in a different walk of life to be an effective servant for Christ. Not true. Whatever walk of life you're in, you can be a sterling example of the the Son of God. You can be someone who leads people to Christ. You can be someone who spreads the gospel. You can be someone who lives an exemplary lifestyle by the grace of God in whatever calling God has you in when he saves you. He is calling them by the Holy Spirit, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to learn to be content wherever they are. Now, that's not to say that that you're not to attempt to better yourselves in your walk of life if that presents itself, and he talks about that later. The point is to learn to be content and effective wherever God has called you. It has been interesting to note that the people who who are in a, work, a work-a-day world, walk of life, they decide to be the very best employee they can be in whatever particular employment they're in, they don't stay in that employment very long. They get noticed, don't they? The uh, the powers that be say, "Guys, always a work on time. She does her work without complaining. She does a good job. She does exemplary work. She helps others. Why are we leaving her in this position? Why are we leaving him in that position? Wouldn't they serve us better in a better, higher position? And that's often what happens. God moves the person up because of their lifestyle. Um, Their lifestyle was to be an exemplary one in the lifestyle they lived. He also tells them that he has directed this in the other churches. This is not a Corinthian exception. This is a biblical principle. Are you married? Divorced? Remarried? Single? Working in a mill? Working in politics? Wherever you are, walk worthy of the Lord in that life and become the very best whatever you are That you can be. Your hand is to the plow. Don't look back. And he will use you in that situation. He will bless you in that situation. He will take you through hard times in that situation. In that lifestyle. But he he will be glorified. And isn't that really what it's about? That God gets glory? And who's to say that he doesn't get the most glory? Absolutely get the most glory. From people who are not that important. In the world's eyes. I think when we get to heaven... And this is just a sanctified imagination. I think it was, I think it was George Whitfield. He was asked, I can't remember, I should have looked this up, but he was asked what he would say to Wesley when they got to heaven. And he said, Wesley will be so far, far in front of me, so close to the Savior, I will not even be able to see him. And that's the attitude. That those who have served Christ the most will get the rewards. And do we want some of those rewards? We talked about those when we studied other books. Certainly we do, but that's not why. It's the love of the Savior that drives us. So your hand is to the plow. Don't look back. So, was any man called when he was already circumcised? Verse 18, he is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. In the Gospels, being called generally refers to being called to salvation. In this verse, (laughs) Paul is encouraging saved Jews not to try to become like Gentiles. Not to become um, uncircumcised. Remarkably, in this in that day and age, it was actually happening in the Greek Roman Greco Roman societies in which the Jews lived. Some of them were embarrassed at uh, being circumcised, and so they would undergo a surgery to change that. We think we have the we've got the uh, book closed on on what can be done with surgery, but apparently there were some pretty sophisticated surgeries going on two thousand years ago. The Greek word translated. Un, uncircumcised here is actually a word that describes the surgical procedure they would undergo. It's a term, it, it is the term epispaomai, epis which means to draw over or pull towards, and it refers to creating the covering again. Um, apparently this would be an inappropriate, this would be an inappropriate and unbiblical attempt to show one's break with Judaism. They wanted to show that they had broken with Judaism, they'd become a Christian, so they would try to become surgically uncircumcised. Paul says, don't do that. Are you, were you called when you were circumcised? Do not become uncircumcised. Then he says, were you called uncircum, uncircumcision? Don't be circumcised. Uh, in the same way, when a Gentile becomes a Christian, it is unnecessary for him to adopt Jewish circumcision. So so overtly, this verse speaks to a literal action that new believers might take. In Galatia, you might remember when we studied that book, the Judaizers taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation. You had to be circumcised. It is not, it has no spiritual significance or value for Christians at all. And Paul points that out. Any comments, questions about verse 18? So in verse 19, Paul says this, in reference to that, circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is keeping the commandments of God. It's the keeping of the commandments of God. As if to punctuate this, Paul declares that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. What matters most and most important is, to, is obedience. The, Christian, the Corinthian Christians were consumed with outward, the outward look, and they took great pains to make sure their social status, their standing, and what they looked like was respectable by the society they lived in. Attempting to be liked and respected in just about any society generally requires compromise. Paul does not want the Christians to compromise their obedience to God, and you'll find that in any any age, any society, when uh, soci- especially when societies begin to g- degenerate like ours has, or rapidly degenerate like ours is, in order to be acceptable in today's society, most of what you have to say, do, and believe would not be biblical. Uh, so, in the in the in the light of that, what ends up happening in the Christian life is. From the world's point of view, or from a worldly perspective, we become lonely. But we're never lonely, are we? We have the Lord, we have each other, and we have obedience to the Word of God, which brings Him glory. Any comments? I had no idea, personally, that they could do that kind of surgery back then, but apparently they could. (laughs) That seems like an an unbelievable way to go, to, to demonstrate something. Verse 20. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Paul emphasizes that our social standing, our education, our marital status, our work, whatever things we ascribe great importance to, are likely less important in the great scheme of life. We can be a dedicated servant of Christ in whatever situation we are in. It's not that we shouldn't try to better ourselves, and he'll mention that. Uh, and in the, in fact, the next verse he allows for that. But it's, not, it's that when we are not content with where we are, that our Christian witness is marred and we run the risk of bitterness settling in which will defile those around us and ourselves. Uh, one man put it this way, he said, if you're not content with what you have, you will not ever be content with what you want. Contentment is a huge key to to being a, a, a successful, if you will, a, a godly and a God-glorifying Christian. It's a key, It's a it's a huge key. So each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Any comments? Questions? Now, what if you can get out of that condition? Were you called while a slave? Verse 21. Don't worry about it. But if you're able to become free, rather do that. Okay. Able to become free. Not forcing your freedom. Not stealing your freedom. Not becoming free by some underhanded method. Apparently, one of the more discouraging roles to be called in in this day and age, was that of slavery. Interestingly enough, though, in this time, many of the believers, many of the slaves, (coughs) many of the slaves were the doctors, they were the teachers, they were the accountants, and they were other professionals. A great portion of them lived very well and they were treated with great respect. There were others, of course, who lived in terrible conditions and were treated harshly and cruelly. Paul makes no distinction here. The only thing that can stop us from obedience is sin. Our circumstances can never do that. What you're going through, contrary to what we sometimes think, can never cause us to sin. We can respond to our circumstances by sinning. Or we can respond by grace in a manner that will bring glory to God. And so what he's saying here is, is um, whatever situation you're in, don't worry about it. Don't take thought. Actually, the word means to don't take thought about it. Um, This is what he's trying to get through to the Corinthians. The circumstances do not rule. Grace, the grace of God does. Paul allows so that if you are also able to become free, though, go ahead and take advantage of it. You're not required to stay in the situation you're in if God provides the opportunity for you to get out of it. The point is, contentment is the basis for good service and obedience to God. For Whatever situation you're in, whether it's of your own making or others making, if you're content, that is if you're not kicking at it, God can use that situation, can He not? And I know all of us have been in situations that were, that were just dis- discouraging and difficult. They were hard and harsh. And, uh, it was, it was hard to live in those situations. And I, I don't want to belittle those, I don't want to minimize them, I don't want to to, to speak as though I don't recognize that, and God recognizes that. I'm not saying that it's easy. One man said, if it, if it was easy, though, everybody would be doing it. Some of those sayings just kind of catch the beat of it, but they don't provide any context. <laughs> All of us have been in those kind of situations where we want it out. This is not what I thought God wanted for me. I I don't want to be here. Well, that isn't to say that God might not call you out of it, but the learning of contentment in it is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing for the ministry of the gospel in the world. It's a powerful thing for the ministry of grace in your own life as you learn to be content with what God has for you. So, any comments or questions about verse 21? We're going to finish early today. Can you believe that? For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Well now there's an interesting paradox. So if you were called a slave, you're free in the Lord. But if you were called a free man, you're a slave to Christ. The interesting thing is, whatever your station in life, as a Christian, you are owned by the Lord. Were you called as a slave? You are free in the Lord. Were you called as a free man, he says? You're a slave in the Lord. The point is, is that no slavery or bondage is as terrible or destructive or eternally final as that spiritual bondage that leads to eternal damnation. And no freedom that doesn't include salvation is truly freedom. And that's why a person behind bars can be more free than the person who put him there. And that's a interesting and remarkable thing to think about. Whatever it is, and, and so God works from the inside out, always from the inside out. He changes hearts, He changes minds, and He changes conditions when necessary. But the point of this whole section, and we'll finish up here in just a minute, but the, is that wherever you are, you can live free, you can live effective, you can live godly, you can live a, a society changing way in your own life. And why? Verse 23 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become the slaves of men. Here Paul is talking about spiritual slavery. We have been redeemed by the great price of the death of the Son of God. We are not to become slaves of the ways of the world, the ways of men, the ways of the flesh. This is a spiritual slavery that many of the Corinthians had fallen into. This was causing their divisions It was causing their strife. It was causing them to sue one another. It was causing them to be unable to recognize horrific perversions going on or unable to deal with horrific perversions going on in their body. It was causing them to want to change their station in life for all the wrong reasons. It was causing discontentment and disobedience. In modern parlance, do not follow men unless they are following Christ. Do not become so attached to men that you cannot see through them When Scripture shows that they are false, always check out their statements, their lifestyle against the Word of God, no matter who they are, no matter who they are. And if they are truly men or women of God, they will want you to do that. Because those of us who follow Christ, who want to follow Him, who love to follow Him, we want to know when we're not, don't we? We want to know when we're not. Um, Now, it's you can be nice when you point it out, you know. Follow follow the admonitions that Christ has in Luke and in Matthew, where you go to them individually. When they're not acting like they were bought with a price, when they've become a slave of men, when someone in your life has that you know as a Christian, you know as a believer, follow the proper procedure to go to them and let God work that out. So do not become so attached to men. And I see that. We throw names, we throw men's names around. All of us are guilty of that. Well, I know so-and-so. Yeah, and I, that and a dollar thirty-five will get you a cup of coffee. I used to be able to say that in a nickel. Anybody remember nickel coffee? That's awful. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Any comments? Everyone in here was bought with a price. Everyone in here is not to become a slave of men. And then finishing up this section, brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which He was called. Paul ends this section with a final emphasis. Do not believe for one moment that you cannot be a godly Christian in the condition in which you were called to God. One commentator put it this way. The meaning of the apostle evidently is that no man should desire to change his status in life simply because he had become a Christian, as though he could not become a, as though he could not be a Christian and yet remain as he was. Let me say that again. No man in life, no man should desire to change his status in life Simply because he had become a Christian, as though he could not be a Christian and yet remain as he was. So in this section of chapter seven, Paul has, has, has run a gamut. He's talked about, about the Corinthians who thought in order to be spiritual, they needed to not touch their wives. And he says, no. In matter, as a matter of fact, you married men, you have a responsibility to your wives. And you married women, you have a responsibility. To your husbands, fulfill that responsibility. Then he talked about the possibility of forsaking it for a period of time. But it was for what? It was for prayer. It was for coming together in prayer. Some great something happened that commanded both of your attention and and needed to be dedicated. Needed to have dedicated prayer spent on it. That can that can cause that to be set aside for a short time. Then. He gives the authority or he gives permission to people who, if they can, to remain unmarried. But he never commands it. He never commands it. And then he gives the married the responsibility when we have a believer married to an unbeliever. Unbelievers may decide to leave, but the believer is not to initiate the breakup. But nevertheless, the believer is to be a peacemaker throughout the situation, throughout the difficulty. And be the opportunity that God can use in the unbeliever's life to draw him to himself even in this situation. For God is always at work to will and to do of his good pleasure in every single one of us. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never misses an opportunity. Um, and, And when we're going through difficult and what seem to be horrible situation and circumstances in life, are they not an opportunity? To become closer to Christ, to learn more about His sufferings, to learn more about how, what it means to be obedient. I think it was John MacArthur said, "Never let a, a good catastrophe go to waste." I know Rahm Emanuel said that too, but but uh, I much prefer MacArthur's reasoning and uh, slant on things. So then, in uh, the next section, he begins to deal with the with, in this section he begins to deal with um, more of the unbelieving believing situation. Reminding the Corinthian believers that God gives grace to the believer that extends even to the unbelievers in the marriage. What a, what a wonderful thing. I I haven't really been able to completely quantify that. I, and maybe someone can, but I think there are a number of things about the grace of God, about His character, about His, about His who He is and about what He does that we're never really going to understand until we get to glory. Because they're so incredible. Why would He do some of the things He does for us? So the hus- unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband. Not saved, but a special grace is, comport- is given to them. And God can even use that in the peacemaking to, to save a marriage or to save a person. So then Paul he closes this section, which ends in verse 24, if-, if we're to give sections to the Scriptures. He closes this section reminding them that the outward doesn't matter. It's what's inside. It's contentment. It's gladness. It's glory with what we have in life that gives us the ability, by God's grace, to live an exemplary life, to live a, a life where you work harder for Christ than anyone else did. You work harder in your in your line of work. You, you spend more time doing the right thing. You're called wherever you're called. Stay there if you can be there. He does give room. Remember, he does with the slave. He says, but if you can be free, well, rather prefer that. I can't remember exactly how it's worded in the Greek, but it's like it's like that. Rather prefer that. But it's just almost in a as a side note. The point is what Paul is getting at is what, what scripture always gets at. It's what's inside that what counts. And then he reminds us that we were bought with a price. Do not become the slaves of men. So we're to remain in the condition in which we were called, because you can be everything you need to be in the condition in which God called you. You don't have to change to be a good Christian. You don't have to change to be an effective Christian. You don't have to change to be a Christian that leaves a lasting impact. You just have to be a real Christian. Any questions or comments? Let's close in prayer. Father, as we are called to remain in our condition or if you move us out of our condition, the important thing is contentment. The important thing is obedience. Paul said that... that uh, What is truly important is obedience to God. And so this morning, as we consider these things, as we look at what you have said in your word to the Corinthians, and by extension to us, let us be grateful and content where you have placed us in our lives with what is going on in our lives. But Lord, let us be always about the business of bringing glory to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by every action, by every thought, by every word, as we live our lives to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.